<laughs> Let's go, guys. Okay. So yeah, go. There, go. You recording? Start it up. All right. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of our podcast on failures. And What's uh, it called, I, by the way? I have my friend here, David. <laughs> we still yes. need the name for the podcast, but we're, let's call it Failures for now. We're failures, talking failing, about... Failing. Failing. What was that? Failing. Uh, failing better. Failing better. Failing and better. Uh, we'd feeling like better. to welcome our uh, guest, Mark. So, Mark, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm really honored <laughs> to be the first in, in a series of failures that you talk to. <laughs> In this endeavor, you're the prime failure. I'm, I'm the I'm the <laughs> optimist prime of failures. I hope not to continue failing on the failing podcast. But know. there is a lot to learn from failures, so yeah, we're very. I don't want to say excited to hear about your failures, but looking forward to learning from them. Yeah. And by the way, my name is Ziad Mukaber. I'm the CEO of Boston Harbor Angels, and we are here at Nutter, oh, yeah, a great yes. law firm. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, hi, I'm Dave Pausner, a partner here at Nutter McLennan in Boston. And, yeah. Mark, who are you? I am Mark Thurman. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, my company, Airprint Networks, where I was the founder and CEO. Uh, and your, your failed, your failed my, company. My failed, failed venture. Company. <laughs> I like to say that we put it up on the shelf. Which is <laughs> a, I, I, or we set it down easy, or we took it out back and shot it in the head. Oh, and I've heard many, many ways to describe it. We'll, but I know we'll talk about that. And, Currently, I'm working for a 20-some-odd billion-dollar uh, Canadian-headquartered global operator where I'm helping build out a global IoT uh, business, IoT as an Internet of Things. So clearly, you somehow rebound, rebounded from your failure. Well, uh, indeed, uh, if, you, if you do it right and you have the right amount of uh, self-awareness and uh, the right amount of gin... Uh, which is my medication of choice. Oh, yeah. You can you can generally sometimes margaritas, but you can generally recover uh, as long as you realize that it isn't fatal, and you realize that the failure here wasn't actually one of your children, which a lot of founders look at their startup as we're talking about my child or my children. This wasn't one of my children, thankfully, uh, and it's business. So, so who's, whose hey, fault was it? Hey, no, wait, wait, wait. Let's, wait, wait, let's go back in time. Who, what was Airprint? So. Uh, very good and question. when did it start? Let's go back. So, Remember, these people know nothing okay. about what we're talking so, about. I'm not sure I do. Well, I think you probably know more than you're letting on <laughs> because, you were, because you were the lawyer. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't his fault. It no, failed. it was not my fault. Um, it's not the lawyer's fault. Never the No, and fault. he was the IP lawyer, so he did a great yeah, job, yeah, and we filed four pounds. No, no. So tell us about so Airprint. So Airprint Networks was set up uh, out of the ashes of the Polaroid Corporation, a great Boston-area institution, venerable company founded by Edwin Land, Fantastic company, instant film, instant camera. Uh, they had a concept um, back in back about 18 years ago, 17 years ago, so the uh, late two, 1990s, early 2000s, around uh, enabling a cell phone to print images. And this is pre-iPhone. This is pre-smartphone. They were sort of retarded phones or dumb phones, whatever word you wanted to use. You could run a Java uh, application in a semi-smartphone uh, uh, setup. But the idea we had was twofold. One, Polaroid had invented uh, some, what they called media, which is another word for thermal paper. And it developed both black and white and color images quickly. And it was designed initially to shoot and print casual, casual images. We liked most of that. 
but we decided that what, what was needed at the time was a way to securely convey content via a mobile device for vertical applications. And uh, Hold on. Tran translate so we that. Wanted to Make use... it simple. Keep it simple. What is it? So the vertical applications we chose, and I'll back into the explanation yeah. uh, using that, was we, we felt there was a market. We had done a fair amount of research. We had a team from MIT help us with that. Uh, all around printing things that were important using the cell phone. The important things were lottery tickets. It's a pocket printer. It was a small printer well, that fit a, in your pocket. It was a service and a printer. Oh, a service. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So was the printer built into the phone? It could have. We had one design for like the Mophie things that you're seeing in today's iPhone that would fit to the back of the phone. Yeah. We had another design that we settled on for, and I'm using my hands for those that can't see them, obviously, for well, a printer a... roughly the same shape and twice the thickness as an iPhone, as a current iPhone. Um, and then we had we also supported existing thermal so, printers. So go back to this. So my simplistic mind, it's a pocket printer, and of course there's a service that goes with it. That yeah. is a consumer, I'm buying a pocket printer. I don't really care about anything else. Uh, anything else about the service other than I have to pay for it every month? Is that correct? Uh, Is there was there anything to the service other than getting yes. my desired print to my so pocket? We were less interested, based on the research, in printing the casual images, picture uh, of my dog, my cat, yeah. my bird. Uh, we were much more interested in finding things that were important to print. So, uh, from a consumer standpoint, they were lottery tickets, which had it had to be printed securely and had to be valid on its face. So we did a lot of research and actually signed a deal with one of the large lottery ticket providers, the largest one, because they deemed our method to be completely secure and it fit within their framework. So someone would buy the lottery ticket through the phone. Through the phone, print it at home. That's right. Well, you know, no, no, as I understood it, it was they would not they wouldn't print it at home. Well, print it on the go. They would be they, on the go. As I understood, they'd be walking in downtown, you know, Boston, and they would say, "Oh, I would love to go to that show right now, or I'd really need a lottery That's ticket, right. and so I don't want to wait in line." So mobile ticketing they would, overall. They would pull this thing out of their pocket, the printer out of their pocket. They would on their phone engage in some sort of transaction, and they would then say, "Print." And Mark's service, which the consumer probably cared a little about, or, that cost. Yes. What was you, it a month? You can be so walking down the street. Yeah. So you could be walking down anywhere. the street and print a coupon. So they were coupons. They were mobile tickets. They were lottery tickets. And also on, on the on the uh, enterprise side, it was securely printing a bill of lading or some other form that uh, uh, denotes that the delivery was delivered in in so what year? A transaction. What, when was what the, year was it? Yeah. When so was this it? would have been fifteen years ago. So. Uh, oh, 17 years ago. So, uh, 1999. But it was counting. So, actually, look, look, just to jump ahead quickly. Yes. You know, I was in the airport the other day, and it seems like I handed them on the both getting on the flight and even checking in. That's right, your, your phone. I used my phone. So, just before 17 we years this, ago, yeah. barcode scanners could not read the screen. Ah. So, this predated that capability. And the other thing that we did, and these are some of the patents that we, that we filed, were around securely... Uh, creating the transaction and the content ever never lived on the phone. The phone became a conduit to print to the printer. So there was a secure element in the printer, which is why we needed a purpose-built printer that mated with the uh, with the with the phone application and completed the transaction, and then let the uh, transaction provider, the movie tickets people, the yeah, yeah, lottery yeah. ticket so, people, let them know that the transaction had been successfully completed. So just go back, just let's go back to that so one the point though again. It's not just this, the barcode readers couldn't read it. Was it that we were a much more paper oriented society? We were back entirely then? paper oriented. 
and the infrastructure was not in place as it is again, you know, 17 years later, to take a mobile printer, um, excuse me, uh, uh, something off your mobile phone yep. and let you on an yep. airplane. So we're talking about a, a company concert. that, in retrospect, was it would have been, had it still been around today and not evolved, would have been a dinosaur. Um, and that its demise might have been far too early, and that's the point of this podcast. But but just so the, the listener appreciates right. it, we're talking about a portable printing technology, which at least to the younger listeners, will see why would anyone want that? Right. And the answer is, believe me, or believe all well, of us, at back the time, then, it was cutting edge. It was cutting edge. Yeah, and cutting, you know, people wanted we printed. received a lot of notice. So. We were in the New York Times. We were in the Boston Globe. We, were, you know, we, ha- we had an abnormal amount of attention. We were in the Motorola Ventures portfolio. We had uh, Alps Electric, uh, which was one of my investors through their, their um, IT fund. So we had a number of investors plus some individual investors. So, so this was a startup that, and you yes. raised money. Yes. And then you had traction. You were going somewhere. That we had we had commercial deals. We had IP, both hardware and software. We had a team of four founders or co-founders. And then we uh, leveraged an offshore um, development team in China, as it turned and out. And so you somewhere. felt you felt on top of the world. Well, no, uh, no. Well, no, you didn't. one thing as a founder is that you never feel on top of the world. You're always, uh, you know, as, as you were talking about before, we were setting up the microphones you're always worried, you know, uh, you always worry about payroll. And when you have people who work for you directly, who you care about, you worry about making sure they get paid. So how much money did you raise? Four. Four million. Four million. Okay. And then when when did things start to go bad? Uh, As they say, jump the shark for TV shows. Well, we didn't jump the shark in terms of the offering. We jumped the shark in that we hit the end of 07 and 08 financial crisis, right as we were raising our next round. So it was, uh, we were a victim of circumstance to an extent. Um, the largest investor, which was the Japanese company, was also hit very bad by, their, by the uh, financial crisis, the bubble bursting. They had their first layoff of their, I think it was a 60-year history. They'd never laid off anybody. And the IT fund couldn't participate, which collapsed the whole round. So the round collapsed... You had no more. You had no cash left. We ran out of cash, and then we had um, one other thing, and this is the thing that I, I also wanted to highlight for the podcast. So we had, you know, two two large investments or investors, if you will, um, and then we had a couple of individuals. One was an MIT professor that I won't name. He was cool with it. He didn't care, but we had an individual who was a friend and neighbor who I won't name. Um, his investment came with a lot of early contingencies, and he tied us up quite a bit for the next round of fundraising. With due respect, gentlemen, I feel like you're getting to dessert ah. much too soon. And I think that some people listening to this will want to know about the failure, but will also want to know a little of how you got there. We know that the technology, we know the tech came out of Polaroid. We know that you thought improvements could be made. Polaroid had the right idea or the wrong idea. And they went through bankruptcy. And they were going through their own issues. You guys spun off, took this technology and spun right. it off. Can you tell us, without getting into the technology any further, can you tell us a little about the early raises and how you went about them, how large they were, what was your first raise, how did you fund it? Before we get to the dessert, let's talk about sure. the business and a little more about it. Because i got to say one advantage of talking to business, about businesses that have failed is we can learn a lot more about them. Um, you, we can conduct the autopsy without hurting anything that's still going. 
Wow, so, autopsies and failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two of my so, favorite words. So tell us, so give us a little sense so, of the fundraising, the, the time periods involved. and So initially, I, 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 I was initially engaged by the Polaroid Corporation through bankruptcy, reporting to the uh, through pres- bankruptcy, through their yours. bankruptcy, not mine, yeah. um, reporting to the president of their instant digital printing group. And I was told, we've got this interesting technology, go raise money. And I was retained as a, as a consultant, paid to go do a fundraise for them, and that lasted, uh, I want to say, about 12 months. And this was in the, uh, not the, not the Alice Cooper toys in the attic stage, but this was the Rembrandts in the attic stage. <coughs> um, wasn't it? Uh, well, they, they actually had quite a few Rembrandts in the attic. So, to, so this is their, a their... historical reference to, I believe it was a book at the time. Zia, do you remember the Rembrandts in the attic thing? No. Do you remember that? There was a book that came out. Mark, you, you yeah, must I know, remember I know this. exactly what you There was a book about. that came out. It would have been in the early 2000s, which encouraged um, enterprises to rummage through the IP that they had developed but were no longer using to see if they could squeeze some dollars out well, of it. Well, that's right. So this was in the Rembrandt side so of the th- attic this, was, this started as that. Um, Polaroid went through their bankruptcy, and then the company initially that bought them through their bankruptcy Lost interest in monetizing the asset, so this, they, yeah. they gave me freedom to operate, take whatever you want. We, um, and it actually created sort of two, two firms came out of the ashes there. One which is sort of alive called Zinc. Oh, Zinc? Oh, they're, yeah. Yeah, they're so going. So Zinc, Zero yeah. Inc., yeah. which had the color printing. They're doing well, aren't they? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, they're doing sort of well. well um, people haven't needed to print things from phones. I think casually. the Zinc people may be listening to this podcast. Well, they I want hope to know not. They're doing uh, very no, they, well. were, they were very nice. Um, yeah. the, and we were sort of the software end of it, and yeah. we had a common partner in the Japanese investment firm, yeah. Alps, and they were a manufacturer. Yeah. And actually, they essentially had us as two dogs competing in many ways, where I, I often said to the, uh, to the board member from, uh, from uh, the, the Japanese company, you ought to combine us because we've got the software capability to create secure mobile uh, printouts of things, yeah, yeah. and we ha- and they had the essentially the paper, the the, the digital media. Okay, so uh, am I driving you so, nuts? No, no, no. Z- so, Z- you're doing well on this. Um, you with us? I am. I've, I've, I don't like the details. I want to know when you failed. And I, you failed. <laughs> Let's, I, let me lead up we, to it. Okay, we, so I'm waiting so, for so, so, okay, so, so, I got, I got, the, I got that you got tech out of we got We already got that. You got tech. We, so we got technology. Got we got tech. know-how, and I got right, a co- so two great fo- co-founders. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now tell us what's your first raise and who puts the money together for um, it, and what do you do for the first few months? We don't, not I put the day. first money in. It was uh, sub-100,000 or right around 100,000. I had yeah. the friend and neighbor involved in yeah. that. Who ultimately took his money back out because he it could, could. Yeah. Um, and, and then we proceeded to get. Um, I want to say it was about uh, two or three hundred thousand convertible debt from uh, uh, an individual investor in the South Shore um, that actually ended up being the true angel in the in terms of the angel investment. Um, what time period are we right now? Roughly? So this would have been. Um, <coughs> Uh, well, I, I know I closed around the night before my now 15-year-old was uh, born, so he's and he's almost 16, so 17 years ago, so exactly at either 1999 okay. or 2000. We're at the turn of the century, and you are the millennium, I guess it was, and you are raising sort of dogs and cats herding cats hundreds and dogs, of yeah. half, a, half a million, okay. you know, all in, and all what is that, convertible What does that debt. get us in terms of, what does that get us in terms of office space and, and uh, product a, and prototype? Uh, and two Regis offices. Working, Regis was a what? Uh, one of the shared office facilities. They still around? Um, 
They're still, oh, yeah, it's a... Oh, they're big. Yeah, oh, it's just, okay. you know... It's like WeWork. It was like, it's a WeWork that's it was done WeWork very well for itself. It was WeWork before WeWorks. Yeah, okay. Well, so they did well. Um, they could own WeWorks. That's right. So, so let me ask you a quick question <laughs> right there. He's getting nuts. He doesn't, he doesn't I like that. I want it. to know nuts. when, at that time, did you suspect that things could go wrong? Did you have any inkling on every what could go wrong? Every day I suspected something could go wrong because uh, the paranoia required... To be a founder oh. sort of found its way into my head. Okay. But but so, I think Ziad's asking about was there any extra special? For I, example, did so, you have investors peeking in your windows at night? No, no. But I I, I didn't have any special macroeconomic uh, uh, over overview on the failures of the financial markets in 07 and 08. Oh, that's true. Um, true. I had zero warning from my largest investor up until the point where I mean we literally had circulated term sheets. For the upcoming raise, which is a few million dollars, and they just said we the fund just cratered, the company's you know going through this massive problem. We can't participate any further, and that's where it. So he had still ended. sticking his finger in the uh, the dessert, trying to taste it while there was no dinner. problem with the concept. There was no problem with market uptake. We had commercial agreements. We had a stable team. Our burn was low, forty fifty k a month. Um, we didn't have any other uh, warning sign up until crisis hit, and then. You know, both both my uh, independent investor and the Japanese company were hit by. In the case of the independent guy, he had a Goldman Sachs uh, margin call. In the case of the uh, uh, Japanese guys, you know, and you had massive no loss of You had off. no revenue, and we had, well, so, we had free so, revenue. So go, so so this is seven years later. So you had raised a hundred, you had raised fifty to a hundred thousand, or five hundred thousand, and, 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 and we were doing it in tranches. Okay, so, so you know. Go. If we were starting to run low, I'd call the individual investor, and he'd, he'd cough up another fifty k. And this is over a seven year period, right? Uh, about f- uh, five years old. Okay, so we're talking about a five year period, and it sounds like you're collecting period. money as you need it, not from a whole group of angels, but from one or two angels. We ended up with not a lot of cats and not a lot of dogs. Yeah. So um, a handful of cats, and again, we had some of the issues from one of the early investors that I that I alluded to who had uh, put some preemptive rights essentially in this convertible debt note and then was able to withdraw his cash and still keep his rights. Um, so one of the things I learned there is listen to my attorney um, because I had assurances from this investor, no, this is normal and you should put your own money in. And uh, I had further assurances that he was going to help bundle up uh, additional funds from his buddies. He, and again, I don't want to identify him, but he became uh, a well-known individual the Boston area for founding a company that went public pretty quickly, and he he and his co-founder had done very well. So he felt like he was able to attract funds. So during so lesson lesson one lesson learned, listen to your attorney. Listen to your attorney. Lesson two: If your neighbor is a, a, a successful entrepreneur, but he's your neighbor and you see him every day because his truck or, or his, his car passes by your house every day. Don't take his money. Keep him as your neighbor. Keep him as your neighbor. Because yeah, so I didn't talk to him for years after. Was there a point Was there a point in this five-year period? Because we've skipped over the, again, what I would analogize to the main point of the meal. Um, was there a point at which you felt, or were there many points? Now, sure, you're always nervous, and you should be. But as I recall, this thing was really kicking along, and you guys were showing me prototypes, yeah. um, even a variety of prototypes. I have a box and, full in my basement. And still. you had a <laughs> Japanese investor that was, as I recall, you were having regular meetings with, yep. and it seemed like this thing was really kicking along. Distribution contracts with the key mobile distributor of the time. Okay, so let's paint the picture, which is Ziad keeps jumping into dessert, as I keep saying okay. it, which is, but my, my thinking is that for a good 
four years, for the first few years, you're nervous. But as I recall, there were quite a bit of time in there in 05, 2005, 2006, when you were pretty happy. Um, you weren't starting to ramp up in terms of hires, I don't think. You still no, we were, we were keeping you. a lean and mean, and the founding team had allocated all the jobs appropriately, so I had sales and marketing, which is my natural, and then the rest were focused, focused on the technology ends and uh, IP development. And you know, we had customers ready to go, distributors ready to go, and literally the, the next round that I referred to was to build out the printers. We okay. need, in order to deliver the service, and I'm going to get to the – Next lesson, learn around hardware, which every yeah. VC will tell you, don't do anything related to hardware. Yeah. I get that now because we had a dependency on our own hardware because it was part of the security loop for creating this mobile, this secure mobile Right, document. so there's a good story there. So, again, you're, things are moving along and you're struggling as a startup should be, but you've got money coming in. And right. as I recall, you had to do a dog and pony show regularly. Several. Um, some of it was to your neighbor who sounds like he was an, it was an easier dog and pony show. And some of it was to the, Ita the Japanese investor. And I, I remember went those. to Japan several times. Yep. That's right. Okay. So as I recall, it's now, let's jump back. It's now 2005, 2006. Nobody has a sense that there's a crisis except if you read Flash Boys. I think the, uh, uh, the, the, the heroes of that was it Flash Boys? Not Flash Boys. What, the other the, one. Whatever the mortgage oh, the, the, swap, the, the, the money vaults. ball one. Money ball. Yeah. Money ball. Whichever one that was. Somebody had a sense. No, Moneyball was the baseball one. Yeah, but one of those. Uh, was well, the guys from the Big Short. All the Big, the big Short. Coming. Big Short. Right. They had a sense something was happening. I was, was going to say the Big Sick, which I just yeah. seen, but that's so, a different one. So, so, by the way, these are all references to name the author? Who's the uh, Michael author? Lewis. My, these are all references to Michael Lewis books. Um, so it's 2005, 2006. You are now, the software is coming together pretty well. Everything works. You've got somebody heading up the marketing slash sales effort. I was doing that personally. Okay. And where were you? So you must have been pretty happy. Where were you in terms of projected, close to projected sales? Where were you in 2000, say, end of 2006? What was your guess on your uh, revenue curve and profit curve, I guess, I thought, over I, the next three years? I thought we were, we were on pace to year one for revenues, you know, five million. Seven and a half, and then twelve. So okay. you know, reasonable pace, not crazy, not the five, twenty, hundred powerpoints that we all see, but um, you know, reasonable uh, pace. And it was mostly a software play, uh, and we got we made a little bit of money on the paper as well. Prototypes were actually working. Oh yeah. I still have working prototypes in my So there was a question of working prototypes, software, and hardware. The back end was built out. The yep. service was going. Yep. So Operational. Um, so to understand that hardware piece where you said that that's a, a problem, right. it sounds like what you're saying is we had a working prototype, and, you know, sure, more design work could have been done on it, but we were now dependent on something or someone in order to start mass producing these. That's was right. That and, the that, issue? and that was Just, the, that was So the, dig into that. Well, that was actually the purpose of the of the upcoming round that I referred to. So the goal uh -huh. was to you know build a bunch of these things, get them out in the market. We had distributor contracts, you know, where they wanted to buy them, but you know, again, you know, but for money, we would have had a successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what what number? So I'm just what I'm what I got going on in my mind is that somebody out there listening to this, if we actually manage to publish it, is going to say, "Oh, I will be so all set." When I have customers lined up and now all I need to do is execute on making the hardware right. unit and I've, all I've got to do is 10,000 the first year or 50,000 the first are, year. Are you, is your what question, your numbers? Is, is it in America? No. What, tell I, us what I happened. I think it was 50,000 printers was the first 
build, okay. and, that, and we have to pay for them. So what went wrong? Oh, there's just That's, money. That, that was it. But so why would you money. say? So, so why did you say a few minutes ago to Ziad or to us? Why did you say I would never get into hardware again? Because you're just talking about any business that needs money for anything, and no, yet now you're no. saying, "Oh no, no, so, hardware." Stuff. So for those of us that, that kind of toil away in the uh, kind of software enterprise software space, um, you know, consumer products, especially, and this is the other thing I learned in terms of. At that time, East Coast versus West Coast financing, it may have changed. I don't know. Ziad, you could probably attest to this in one way or the other. But at the time, I used to say um, something like TiVo, which at that point was pretty hot, which got funded out of Silicon Valley, uh, would not have gotten funded in the East Coast. I did not want to move West. We were East Coast-based. And this was viewed as a hardware-dependent uh, thing, which was the risk. Nobody wanted to fund something that looked like a potentially consumery thing and that had a piece of hardware. That was the hardest. That was the feedback we got from all the various VCs. And, that and said what no. did it do? Did it delay? Because it, it's seven years. So, so far your story has seven years. I'm not sure if it's and, quite, I have to kind of check the dates and I yeah, can but supply keep that. Yeah, but we got but it was a number it. of years to, yeah. to get there. So if you had sped up or accelerated your progress because you hit a point where we're not going to talk about the failure yet. No, no. But keep going. Your question is great. Dessert. That's the, it's right. not dessert, by the way. Failure is not dessert. Well, it's more dessert like for the, this podcast is like a pill schadenfreude, right? Uh, but so, <laughs> so if you, <laughs> if you reverse engineer from your failure right. and you look back and you can say, if we had done things faster, raised money faster. Yeah, get to your question about the hardware. Uh, you have uh, a great yes. Would you have, yeah. would you have succeeded? I think so. So, so dig I, into the, I'm sorry, I mean, I'm, I'm laser focused on this damn hardware question because you hear it periodically. The question on the hardware. By the way, this podcast doesn't have any swear words. Did I say something? You did, but. Oh, you I did, didn't hear that. Yeah, it was, uh, well, that, that was a different language. I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't hear we it. Switched I didn't hear it. it. <laughs> yeah. I, don't even, I, I don't even, I don't well, even, I'm I don't in charge even of hear the podcast, so I have to monitor. So hold on. So stepping back, let's so, go back to that hardware question. I, so I'm trying to understand that very specifically. If this had been a pure software play and not yes. a hardware play, what would have been different? Apparently you two know, I don't know. So spell it out. Um, I think I would have gotten, my development cycle would have been shorter. I would have had zero hardware dependency. I just would have had to find a piece of hardware I could support. And we started that. What's the difference between hardware dependency and software dependency? Uh, in this case, since our entire premise was creating a closed loop system that had piece of hardware that validated, that had a software key in the hardware yeah. that validated that the transaction had been completed. Based on the uh, research we had done, that's what was needed for these transactional type uh, bits of output, but Again, isn't tickets it, and, and just a pick at this? Of course, isn't every company with a high tech solution of some sort? Ziada were just and I were just talking with one that they do right. have. Most they do have hardware, um, but isn't everyone going to have some sort of key limiting feature? For example, if I'm a a crypto tech company, there's going to be some piece of software that, oh, my God, I opened I, I, that as I outsourced it, and they can't get it right, and it's holding me up. Isn't that going to be true on everything? So why is hardware fundamentally different than so, software and this will get, or anything else? Um, hardware has a, a longer lead time invariably, and this, is, this was probably the answer to the how many years, you know, to go do a spin. Uh -huh. And, you know, it was, I think, 18 weeks. 
from the time we sent the mechanicals to get back a sample. Then you'd validate the sample and you go, oh, the, this doesn't work and that doesn't line up and the, the piece of paper doesn't shoot out and it didn't transmit to the mobile phone. And here are the changes, changes and then it's got to go back to the design shop that did the layout. They've got to change that. That was probably four or five week turnaround. And then the 18 weeks cycle started again. So we were in these six month cycles to do, you know, first acceptance. This is pre 3D printing too. So you couldn't actually just go plop one out there. That's a great answer. Now, question for you. That, if that's the, if that's the cycle time. This was say, not rapid prototyping. No, no, this no. Was slow prototyping. Right, right, right. And 3D printing would have helped, would not have helped a lot of this. Um, right. so if that's the cycle time for upgrade, not upgrades, but simply cycles and getting right. the next rev of the, of the prototype. You could get out, to an MVP. What was it quickly. for the software? And just so I understand, this is a, this is a great, in my mind, really helping a lot, which is on the hardware side, it's darn it. I didn't swear. Darn it. It's hardware. Yep. It takes time. And if there's a long, a big span, uh, you know, you've got to send it to Japan, blah, blah, blah. There's time. It takes six months for each rev or three months or two months. What was the comparative cycle on the software upgrades when, I forget, oh, was it Jeff it was, or somebody doing that stuff? Uh, yeah, it was uh, one of our, one of our co-founders and, and the team. And they would be able to, they were able to do almost continuous development because of the, you know, Jeff and I think we had a few other folks stateside would do their work during the day and then send it to China. We get done overnight, so we started. Well, it, wasn't, getting, it could have been. We, it could have been quite. I mean, that's that's we were, orders we were of magnitude. Rapid code drops. We, oh, you know, okay. we had I think fourteen uh, software developers in China working for us, and I, I know I'd sent my uh, my guy Jeff over a couple times to China to build the team and and work with them and and uh, build the relationship, which is very important. So, Kenziet, you have talked to now as the head of BHA. You have spoken with hundreds, I think, not thousands. Hundreds of companies. Yes. How often does do these issues pop up? Hardware cycle time versus software, and is this all jiving with what you're thinking about as you speak with the company? Well, well, first of all, I think companies in general should choose: are they a hardware company or are they a software right. company? And you're a living example of a company that struggled because when you first started describing, it was clear you were a printer company. You were trying to compete with HP, building printers. And then you said you're a software company. And so now suddenly you have to deal with fast cycles of upgrades and development on the software side and very slow development, prototyping, manufacturing on the hardware side. So that's de definitely, as a startup, an important point for people to know who they are. That's right. And then the second piece... And how, if they know who they are, uh, keep, the, keep that in your mind. Remember what the second piece is. How does that change things? Does that change your pitch to your investor, which is, no, 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 I know you want me to tell you you're going to get your money back in three years, but remember, I'm a hardware company. Well, yes, and, and that's where you, you're a hardware company, you're a medical device company, you're a biotech company. Right. You have to be true to your industry unless you're trying to disrupt the whole thing, which is also feasible, but, but you have to, to know what you're doing. Right. And then the, the other piece is that and that's more a question to you about mm -hmm. the whole failure, which is the point of this podcast, is well, at some point you knew you were chewing too much or biting too, too much by being a software and a hardware, which requires a lot of money, which puts you in a bad spot in 2008 because some companies exited in 2007. Right. So uh, um, some companies uh, exited in 2006. And right. some companies weathered the storm 
uh, that came. So in general, businesses should be able to weather any storms and try to prepare for them. That's my belief. Well, as that a, was a quick story. I, I mean, unless you were the, what was that, not the Flash Boys guys. It was, it was the Moneyball, whichever one it was. Yeah. Um, what was the name of that book again? Which one? Big, big, big Short. Big Short. Unless you're the Big Short people, not a lot of people had a prediction of that that crisis. So how many of the companies that Boston Harbor Angels invests in could weather? That was a pretty darn big storm. Well, uh, I think the storm hit more the investors than the startups. That's exactly right. And and so you you have to have investors, and you also have to have a plan B where you say, okay, we'll we'll survive for two years on very little cash. Right. Wasn't that the Walking uh, Dead instead era? Of, instead of getting wiped, and uh, uh, or I mean, we have one of our companies they're leasing their office space to make extra revenue. Like as entrepreneurs, you have to figure out a way to survive. Oh, that's okay. He's being pretty harsh. I agree with that. I mean, that's the way he no, should sound but, harsh. But, but let, me, that, let, me, let me back up for one second. So you're a failure. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's, I'm there's, kidding. You failed. You failed. So we still yeah. now you're making a great <laughs> picture. I want to know where are the great. signs. <laughs> yeah. where, when well, did the signs start to when, come? When he called the investor, uh, they uh, said uh, no. <laughs> yeah, because that's you can't. What would I you think it's when I saw the headline, and I'm not joking, that, you know, uh, the market bubble burst. And I made a call and said to the, my key personal and my key uh, institutional, uh, how does this impact you? And they got on the phone and said, well, we've been meaning to call you. Here's the impact. Mm-hmm. The impact is we're not participating further. We're putting our shit in boxes, I did swear, and we're getting out of here because we're losing, you know, we're shutting down things. Going, so so yeah, you did not yeah. have a plan B. That's that's yeah, my so because I, and, yeah yeah talk about that plan B what would it have been what could you have done differently because, now because this is the lesson for yeah. all the startups yeah, yeah. we talk to what is your plan B if your investors run out of money so I I had, <laughs> I had actually bootstrapped this and had free office space for a bit of time prior to the shared office I described so I'd, I'd lived my plan B earlier I didn't have a plan C however. Uh. Um, and I was right at the inflection point, and I couldn't work for free. We were all drawing modest salaries. Um, I was right at that point where that money produced printers, which then got our our, our whole thing launched. So, Ziad, what would revenue. you propose? i got to tell you, I, you're sounding pretty harsh because if I'm not mistaken, there were a lot of companies that took a beating, a lot of investors, in when that crash occurred. Some things are unpredictable. Um, so my question is, and so what, what Mark is describing, and I, I don't want to do Mark any favors here. No, I, I'm kidding. But what Mark is describing here is a company that was operating not too close to the edge, but was doing what a startup does for, what was it, five, six, seven so years? Yeah, about five years. But they we were, were very going, lean. We were not so, burning money. Right, hand to mouth. Um, they didn't have a lot of money in the bank. And when they went out to get their usual, you must have you done calls, so to speak, oh, yeah. once was... every year or so to get money, every six months. Every six and months. they went out to make that call, and there was no money. What would so you have your, them so do? So your revenue was your investors. So that's, that's a concept that's, that is hard to understand uh, for a business. That's right. For a startup, people are, are used to it. But I turn the question around and ask you, now that we're – Understanding this, what you what would you have yeah. done differently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, would, looking uh, back, yes, I would have focused more on uh, the secure delivery of the content, with less focus on the printer, because that was the cash hog for us. That's that's where we burned more in IP development, and we started to care about the design of the printer, uh, the time cycles, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, so I would have really, but. 
But would the X have been less if you had done that, which is the X, the multiplier, been less, which is you were delivering a solution. I was delivering and, a complete solution. And the complete solution would not be just one piece. It would have been everything. So is it really fair to say that? Because all I hear you saying is, well, had I known it was going to happen, I would have chosen a product that I could have gotten to market sooner. Well, you didn't know it was going to happen. So we had done a fair amount of research, so I also trusted the research, and it indicated that there would be a need for physical printing for some time to come. We did anticipate the eventual use of the higher-resolution screens. We were looking at the quality of the screens coming out of Japan. We were fortunate in that our investor-slash-supplier was also a supplier of screens for phones and and, is, and remains so for a lot of the companies. So we had an idea. We were, when we would go to Japan and go to these large Japanese conferences that they invited us to, we would see the next and the next and the next generation of uh, screens for phones. So we knew that the resolution was coming uh, higher on, the, on these uh, devices, and we knew the screens were getting larger, and we also knew that the barcode readers... But what's your point were... with respect to Ziad's question? Ziad's question is, what would you have done differently? And I'm telling you, don't... I, I'm taking it as a, a half answer when you say, well, if I had known, I would have chosen a smaller, less uh, l less uh, uh, all-encompassing product. I would focus more on the software, just, but, to, be, just to be blunt. So okay. you would turn your company into a software company? Which would, which would have company. survived... Which would have survived. And would have been. Because we, we, you, you, you said, you know, you have to know who you are. And I agree with that exactly. And I remember it was even on my presentation deck. It was secure content delivery. That's who we thought we were. Everything else was a means to an end. The printer was a means to an end. The encryption scheme was a mean to an, means to an end. Secure mobile content delivery. Those four, four words. So you were not true to your core and also so who made these decisions? Me. These are strategic decisions the that team. someone sat in a meeting and said, we're going, because someone at some point could have said, stop everything, we're dropping stop the, the printer, we're going software, and that is that person is a visionary that would have saved the company, or the company would have failed, and then you move on to something else. So, so, so let me, before, yeah, you, before you interject, yeah. David, let me yeah. answer this question. I, my board consisted of, a very seasoned VC investor, strategic investor from one of the telco, one of the phone companies, um, one of the you know phone handset makers, um, the guy from the Japanese company. So they had, they knew cycles, and he was sophisticated in that. Personally, he was the CFO of the company, and he was also a, you know he had a a, a a a broad portfolio of other things in this space. The guy I met. Yeah. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the individual investor who uh, was the true angel in this. And he had run a company for 40 years successfully and done very well. That was also in the space. So no one raised any red flags saying, be careful. No. Furthermore, we kept validating, you know, we the, the MIT, just as a quick aside, has a wonderful program that uh, in this area in particular where you can get a group of grad students to do, they called it an e-lab, it was out of Sloan. So we had done several studies with several uh, groups of Sloan students, and they kept validating the the premise as well. So, so I, I'm I'm being slow on this because you both seem to understand it, and I don't. Which was, as I understand what you're saying now, it is that you weren't true to your what you say is your mission, which was secure content delivery. And all I remember is when I met you and you showed me the product. I said I would go home and say to my wife, "Hey, this is pretty cool." I can walk around with a printer in my pocket, right. and if we need to get tickets for something, I can print them out and we can hand right. them. So 
I don't understand what you mean true to your core. I, I don't understand how that relates to anything uh, other than post facto, simple, you know, simple words to paper up a well, problem. What well, would you have done? Um, I just don't get it. What do you mean true to your we, core? The, you know, true to true my core means, you know, again, uh, content delivery as, as as a service, which is really the revenue model. The with print- respect to what? There weren't printers out there. If you told me that the market was flooded with so printers. Th- that's true. We had to seed the market with printers. We had to create them, and they had to have our security there. protocol. They weren't there. There they, were no they printers were not there, on the market. So we built the first one, and we thought right, so that go would back. inspire. I'm, hang I'm, on. Yeah. That, would, that would inspire the creation of others. We actually started talking to the automotive manufacturers about embedding them in in vehicles, and there was a lot of interest in doing that. So I'll argue that you you really haven't answered the question, or both of you seem comfortable with what seems to me to me to be a non-answer. I'll, you're saying that it would have been great to be true to a mission once a premise was in place, but we were critical to putting the premise in place. In other words, it had to, there had to be a full, full vertical solution, and then perhaps in generation two of our company, when we had real competitors, then we could have taken some of our core expertise and drop the hardware line, which was now perhaps could, economy could, item, commodity. Right. Is we, that what you're getting? Well, I'm trying to be- I'm kind of, we could, we, had we closed that next round, I believe we could have, first of all, garnered real revenue, had the market proof points from selling these things and the service that came along with it. And then we would have achieved a successful pivot to look at other printers. And we had already been talking with the other printer manufacturers around embedding our security protocol in their printer to enable vertical applications. Uh, we talked to the industry leader who was very interested in that. And then I think as the market developed, we would have continued to develop because we had content relationships with the key movie ticketing provider, the key couponing provider, the key lottery ticket provider, and, and but I, we I built would, that yeah, up. So I'd like to add that. So if you look now that we're ahead, we're yes. 10 years ahead, the mobile printing technology or printing world did not never evolve never evolved well in the it never happened yeah, so it never happened it's right, printing right, right, bar there's a lot of barcode right. printing there's that, barcode printing that, that continues to occur um the industry leader in that space is a company called zebra out of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. northbrook illinois yeah. i believe yeah. Yeah. and uh you know they're printing all sorts of things but the on individual demand. home set top uh, uh Portable printers, right. sending tickets, printing your lottery you, tickets. That's right. Never happened. That's right. And so technically, so you were spending a lot of money on building a transition technology. A, a, a closed-loop system, but that's so, right. So I go back to my first question. Uh, um, should you have dropped software or hardware? And looking back, I think if you had dropped hardware and kept software, you would have been right in line with the progression of the no, no. of the but technology. I'll no. argue, how could they have known that? We all know that now, looking back from 2017. There were no pocket printers back then. And if I'm not mistaken, you can answer this. You could there was there weren't enough companies for you to offer that make that software offering to to keep yourself viable. Is um, that correct? In other words, if you had followed the advice we claim you should have followed and given, given yourself and followed, would you be in business or would you have died that much sooner? No, I think we would have made a, a successful transition to being a, a content aggregator of transactional content. Uh, that was where I think we were going to go as the market would have changed. We had very strong indications that we were going to be able to embed printers in cars and in trucks, which would have given you, you know, the, one of the use cases was, you know, the the shopper in the family pulls up to the Whole Foods, the, the, and I, actually, um, 
Motorola did quite a lot of work in in this location, the early LBS, location-based services world, right, right. during that time period. Right. And there's this notion that it would know I'm in front of Stop and Shop. It would disgorge all of my coupons, and we already had the couponing relationship. And then you'd happily go off, and you'd save a lot of money because you had these coupons. Coupons, I forget the number because it's been you know some years, but couponing remains a very strong business. I know my wife uses them to this day. And it's a huge business, and those coupons are actually a form of tender, of legal tender. So anyway, but I'm hearing a lot of coulda, they have a cash value. coulda, woulda, shoulda stuff. And Ziad, I just, I'd be curious what you have to say, because I'm hearing a lot of coulda, woulda, shouldas. And it seems to me that he had a company that, that fundamentally they had to be fertily, vertically integrated in order to get to the next step. The next step may have been they became a software company, but I'll argue they were marching along, as any startup should have been marching along, which is running fairly lean, um, getting the investor monies when they needed to, which also meant proving to investors that they had something viable. Right. So it wasn't just Mark saying going to a tap that had no person or thought behind it. He was going to Japan. He was going to his neighbor and saying, I need another $1 million. Here's what I'm going to do with it. That's, That's right. a test. That's a test. And he passed all those tests. And then the rug got pulled out from underneath him. Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. Did the did the the rug get pulled out, or your technology was a transition technology, and you would have needed yet another three to four years to re to repivot because the printer market was going to go away, and you were going to go back to software anyway. Yeah, uh, but isn't uh, with the market crash or not? Well, isn't every technology a transition technology? Uh, no, but some technologies are visionary technologies. Well, no, no, no. They're visionary when the early side of the curve. They're transition technologies 10 years later. Look, with the benefit of hindsight, I think we would have absolutely stayed on the content delivery trail, getting more and more valuable bits of content aggregated for a mobile user that did, didn't necessarily have to be printed. So that would have given us the ability to survive without the physical printer, we would have had the ability to get design wins, which was one of our plans to embed the protocol in target printers, and we had had those discussions with various printer manufacturers, and those were going very well, but we needed those market proof points. The other thing I will say, in, uh, not in defense, but just I consulted or we consulted frequently with our board, with MIT folks, with market research guys, with our own market research so I think we couldn't have predicted certainly the financial issue, and then I'll also transition to yes. the other company. Yeah, the other company. That's a perfect transition. Um, yeah, but yeah. We did, we, yeah, the yeah. one thing I did learn is um, I talked to my board all the time. It was, it was not adversarial. It was very helpful. They had you know great bits of feedback. They had great Rolodexes to help not only solve technical problems but to solve financial problems and to get further validation. So, so for can, this would be great. And, uh, so the company fails. You make that call. You yep. make the call. The investor says the main investor in Japan says, "Nope, we're wrapping up. You're not, not going to see any more money." Right. Your neighbor apparently pulled his money he back. Pulled, he pulled his money and just, we, we parked it. So, so it's, it's just describe without going into too much gory detail. Um, but it would be kind of interesting. What then happens with you and your co-founders after all everything disappears? It must have seemed horrible. We or had a nice dinner. Uh, in, in one co-founder in particular uh, is currently a professor at one of the local universities. Local universities, um, and you're still friends with and him. And not only am I still friends, I'm speaking for his class again. I think it's in next week or the week after. Pity them. No. <laughs> what what to do and what not. Keep to going. Do. Keep going. But keep going. the thing, I, the linkage I wanted to break to the yeah, bring yeah. to the second one, which again is a. Um, 
a Boston-based company that I won't uh, name, but it's one that that some folks around here in this room are familiar with. I was brought on as a board member. They had a similar uh, issue around creating their own custom hardware in order to launch a service. I've seen this movie. We uh, just talked about the script. And you were on the board. And I was on the board. And part of what I was trying to do is, is very in great detail indicate that I've seen this. I've had a company that failed. It was for this very reason. The creation of custom hardware to track, uh, assets. There's custom, there's non-custom off-the-shelf hardware available. And, um, you know, I, 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 as I recall though, you, as I recall, you commented that there were some, there, there were was other some issues. spending that might not have helped. So, so well, I'm going to get to that. Spending. I'm going to get okay. to that too. So, so that's the second okay. part that was yeah. not helpful. Yeah. And that was not, and that was having seen spending, um, uh, in this particular case and a few other cases where I was just an employee, I, I had a very strong and deliberate opinion as a board member and just as someone that wanted to see this enterprise succeed around spending. But we, we, this particular company had a dependency on custom hardware. The development cycles were, were extremely long. They couldn't, if they didn't have enough, you know, gas in the tank, they couldn't do the next spin of the hardware. It was more and more expensive than, than they had predicted. It went up, you know, two, three, four times. Uh, and ultimately they were never able to produce a working piece of hardware. Their product was to, you know, accurately uh, track assets and provide some predictive uh, elements, you know, using what they call data science in that in, in that particular setting, to predict and to, oh, and also to combine it with environmental factors and traffic. And so, what would you have had them do? That is, not build saying, a piece of hardware. And what could they have used instead? Uh, there's uh, so many off-the-shelf things that were. You know, sub twenty dollars, sub fifty dollars. So, did someone mention anything? Did someone on the board say, "Let's not build the yeah, custom"? Mark saying, we, so we, who, "Who did not listen?" The yeah. CEO, the founder and CEO, well, who did you, not want to listen. Why didn't you step in? Why didn't the other board I, members I, step all in? All of us stepped in, and and he ignored all of our um, uh, all of our advice on that. And again, there was a fair amount of uh, um, overspending on non-essential so items. To go back to the, your first company, if a board member had told you. Drop the printer as a, as a CEO, would you have listened? I would have taken that in. Short answer is yeah, but I would have validated it. I, I had the luxury of a uh, lot of resources around, a lot of free resources around MIT students that I could uh, test the hypothesis with. Um, my board and, and our, our group of advisors, we could ask them, one of whom was an MIT professor. So, so everybody validated your, everybody your validated. Yeah, Why couldn't you, remove, going back to the, the other company, why couldn't the board remove the CEO? Um, because he had complete control. He had complete control. And he well, refused to listen. Well, what's the lesson learned for investors in that case? What would have um, changed the complete control? What would, have, what would it, be different? What would you make different if you were both we, an investor and a board member? It was all, I mean, there, was, there were many issues with this company. One was in terms of cash management and... You know the creation of a corporate culture way too early in the in the company's uh, gestational cycle, which, as a board member, I found out a little too late in the game because they weren't being completely transparent. Were they going back to the? Actually, this brings me back to uh, the the point we're actually almost just on, which is in your company. Even though in the end something hit the fan, the market hit the fan, so to yep. speak, and the market disappeared right. for you. Um, you had to regularly validate your views with your board. 
and with uh, outside, MI, outside, outside sources. Yeah, outside right. sources. Was it the, and, and that was in order to get the next five hundred thousand, next hundred thousand, whatever it was. Was that not the case with the other company? Did they get a big infusion up front, and they then were were not responsive? This, to C, the, this founder and CEO is a very good fundraiser. Uh, other things that he did was he had way too many individual investors, too many dogs and cats. And how many investors are too many? I think he had like eighteen. 18 investors. Oh, we've seen companies with 65. Yeah. But was would but he then? This go was to, like way early. This is like for the first six million bucks. But would he go to a different investor each time yes. and, and spin a new yarn yes. for them? So the, he would spin a new yarn for them, and he'd get another half a million in, or whatever the number was. Right. And in the case of you and your company, you same. went back to the same people over I kept and over. Going to the same. Okay. Well. So what, Ziad? What's the lesson? And Mark, what's the lesson learned there in terms of? Not so much the number of investors, but the need to for somebody to impose controls on. You don't need controls. You you need to like the CEO and the founder, respect them, and uh, they need uh, to respect uh, you, I suppose. And they need to respect you. And if you realize two years into it that you don't like them or you you they don't to listen out. to you, uh, it's too late. You you've already you should have known from the beginning that uh, you're not going to get along. And imposing controls, in my opinion, does not help. All it does, it creates an unhealthy environment at an early well, stage. Well, would you, then going back, uh, uh, the control I was specifically getting at here was the, the constant value, <laughs> the, the need in, of Mark's company, even though they ran into the market crisis, the need of Mark's company, and Mark particularly, to come back to his investors every, fairly often, to validate and get that next chunk of change. Is that a good model or a bad model moving uh, forward? If, and it's an interesting lesson that if investors invest in you or you convince them to invest in you, that does not mean you're going to be successful. That right. only means you have convinced investors to put right money in, in your business. Right. Right. You didn't, you, it's, no, it's not, it's one step towards success, but it's not an indication of success. And, uh, um, and then also some investors would have mortgaged their house to stick with you. So they, they usually look at their portfolio and they say, okay, I have 20 companies. I need to save two out of 18. Right. And I have a little bit of money left, so they pick the ones that they yeah. need. And so and, – and, and I've, I've seen that many times. It's important to surround oneself with uh, uh, people who can challenge your views philosophically and strategically um, – and so, that's, that's not easy to find. So we spoke before, Mark, you came here today. Ziad and I spoke with a company that's raising a relatively small amount of money to begin with in order to further validate mm -hmm. the concept. And then there's going to be a very large range, like a 5X raise later. 5X from the original. From the original number. Sorry, right. yeah, 5X from the original number later with presumably a different round of investors. Is there anything from the two stories we heard today from Mark that would help us evaluate a decision to make an early investment in the company that I just referred to that's going to raise a small amount now and a five times that later? Is there any way to draw this all together? Well, it's the ability to influence people's behavior. They say that being a good manager is the ability to plan or manage a team. Being a good leader is the ability to influence other people's behavior. So if you're a good leader and you can have investors follow you, then your funding risk is minimal because you can – that's what happened to your first company. Right. So you were able to raise money. 
you were able to be a good manager. You had other other risks. Your second company was a people challenge, but so if if the if you're a good founder on the fundraising side, that's important. So I want to go back to the quickly because we've right. actually this. I found this really an excellent discussion, but um, I want to go back. Quickly. I'm glad my failures are so entertaining. Yes, yeah, for that's you. excellent. So, just the the East Coast West Coast <laughs> yes. thing, um, and and the hardware software thing. Let's go back in time and 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 have you not be an East Coast company that's doing hardware, and then unfortunately hitting the crisis, the financial crisis. Let's have you. Let's pretend you had moved to the West Coast, and instead of getting. 500,000 at a time, let's have you getting 5 and 10 million um, in your first raise. I don't know if that's the reasonable numbers, but much larger numbers. Is that, would the funding model that you would have faced on the West Coast perhaps help you weather that storm and would you be successful? I think so. And I I went to Sand Hill Road and had that experience of um, going up the hill and going from building to building, hat in hand. And we had, you know, very good uh, feedback from those folks. But the the consistent theme there was, love this, but you guys are on the wrong coast. Would you and your team move? Say so you had, and had you moved? Had I, had I moved, and again, you know, it, that could have been a rock-moving exercise on their part. Uh, it, what do you mean, what's the rock-moving? Oh, rock-moving is go take the rock to the other side of the room, let me know how it goes in two months. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, which, which you experience a lot as, a, as an early-stage uh, yeah. CEO, uh, a lot of rock-moving. Um, and I had several of the, you know, my father had us move gravel. I got, yeah, the, yeah, I yeah, got yeah. a lot of gravel. So, um, uh, but you know, if they were true to, true, their true to their word, had I picked up and moved and, you know, took out, took one of their cubes in the back as they, as they'd offered up, um, I, it might've been a different outcome because I think the climate in that time period was more open to this kind of combination of hardware software again if you you know i talked about tivo earlier tivo would not have gotten funded on the east coast they were funding in that in that time period you know uh big telco boxes in a closet they did very well it was not the wrong strategy for uh east coast vcs but a lot of those companies you know would not have gotten funded in that time period in the same manner i contend but being uh, oftentimes is being at the wrong time in the wrong place. Yes. Yeah. And that's a failure in itself. It's, well, uh, and, and we're not talking about blame. We're not trying to no, yeah, assign blame. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to identify failing yeah. points yeah. to avoid predictive analysis to figure out what happened yeah. in retrospect. That's right. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. a lot of companies that we thought would never make it now rule the, the world. They're huge. And, that's and right. They're yeah. Huge. And, other, and, and it's, and that's what they say the biggest quality of an entrepreneur is persistence. That's right. Yeah. And, and you can, if you don't have to feed your family, and if you can live in your car, right. and, uh, and you keep going, maybe you, it would have succeeded. So during that time, I think you're right. I think during that time period, they had this phrase that will bet on the jockey, yes, not the not horse. The, right. What I discovered throughout this is that they wanted to bet on the jockey, the horse and the racetrack and all the other racetracks, and it was you mean the they it was that was your your one investor who pulled his money back. No, that was the, that's why when I looked at both East Coast and West Coast uh, investors, that was where I, I think there was a transition occurring where they want they didn't at least with respect to my idea and and, and our little company, they wanted the market validated, the product valued validated, 
they had really didn't have a lot of doubt because my team contained very senior seasoned people who these are the west coast investors yes you're saying that you're saying that you might not have been able to move to the west coast um other than not wanting to because they wanted to see everything validated and you couldn't do that so you stayed on the east coast and you took money a chunk at a time right and you actually made it quite some distance we tranched it up and, and i think that also mitigated some of the risk how much total money did you raise a little over four yeah. The four whole million. thing. Whole so thing. Four, four million over seven years. Over, yeah, five years, yeah. So if it was 10 million over three years, uh, in an accelerated fashion, the outcome would have been different. One would think. But but one, the raising 10 million is harder, uh, yeah. and it you was have harder. to validate. Right. That's right. And you might not still, even if you had done that, you might not have been with a company. Well, you know, the, I mean, nobody had problems with my stewardship. And I was very mindful. Well, that was one of the benefits of having smaller investors, including including your neighbor. Well, yeah, but he he was actually the most problematic. But you know the <laughs> um, the Japanese investment. Uh, you know, we had a very close relationship. Actually, I talked to my board member uh, two days ago yep. oh, from that. So, and all of them said they would invest in me if I had a great idea again. Which you know sounds you nice. do a podcast. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm raising five million for this podcast. <laughs> All right, so now hey, we get. Hey, we've been we've been going. I got to say before yeah. we go on again. I thought this was excellent. We've been going about fifty minutes, and okay, I would. Okay, well, it's time to, to let's end wrap it. it up. Hey, so All what's right. the, what's this thing going to be called? Is it failure? So, so we'll call it fail failure or failing better. We'll Something. pick one. Yeah, and we'll but uh, we all and I personally think that learning from mistakes from failures. Is, is very important and uh, thank you Mark for, for opening up it yeah. takes a lot of strength to, to look back and really analyze the failures and so we're here to help you do the autopsy yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, it's always great to have friends alright thank you <laughs> thank very you much thank you very much thank you David and Ziad it's fun it's a wrap